This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner. This is episode 246. I am in Lincoln, California today. And sitting across from me is Zach Frasher, a co-owner, head brewer for Slice Beer Company. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Good we've been trying, yeah, we've been trying to get this podcast. Uh, we tried, I tried to do this last summer when I had a, a trip planned out here. You guys were making some waves. We'd clearly written about uh, stuff about you in the past in, the, in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, that uh, brewery you worked for before this. Um, and, uh, you know, but then since then you just went and won a gold medal at uh, world beer cup, uh, recently for a hazy, juicy, strong pale ale. Um, and, uh, Hey, we've got lots to talk about on this episode. We are going to talk about hops. We're going to talk about West coast IPA. We're going to talk about juicy, hazy IPA. We're going to talk about the intersection between the two and how, you know, each of those styles are influencing each other. We're going to talk about your approach to hops, your approach to building a a base for the, you know, that allows for this hop expression, all of that fun stuff. Can't wait to talk about more of that. But first, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer, G&D Chillers, new micro-channel condensers. G&D's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions, use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks, along with lower global warming potential. G&D Chillers engineers are committed to green technology design while developing a more energy-efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact G&D Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro Brew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for info on patented pro-carb inline carbonation technology, pro-fill rotary filling and seaming can fillers, the Alchemator inline alcohol separation system, 7 to 50 barrel brew houses, and more. ProBrew, a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promoc brand, offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more info. Zach, let's talk about your history. Like I said, uh, you know, we first wrote about you at another brewery uh, not too far from here. Um, you know, you, uh, you're an avid podcast listener. We, we met up uh, last year at CBC. Oh, I should just say we met up. We kind of randomly encountered each other yeah, at, at yeah. Beerstadt uh, yeah. at our, our kickoff last year. Drank and, a little bit of Hellas, you know, and hung out for a while. And For sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So talk to me about your arc through brewing. What was the thing that uh, got you hooked, and how did you then decide to pursue craft beer and brewing as a career? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I got into uh, I got into beer in general pretty young back in high school, you know, um, and I was drinking uh what I thought was good craft beer back then, like uh, Newcastle Brown and St. Pauli Girl, and, sure. you know, but Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Um, so I, I always appreciated beer. Um, and then I got into home brewing back in 2008. Um, I had my first daughter back then. Um, she was uh, she was tiny. I was kind of stay at home dad, and I was looking for a hobby to do. So thought about you know getting to making beer. Thought it was the coolest she thing was ever. Tiny. Yeah, well, she, she was she was like one. Oh, you know, okay. So she, she was little. So. <laughs> yeah, so they're all pretty small at that age. <laughs> yeah, so stay at home, dad. Sure, um, sure, sure. You know, 
loved hanging with my daughter, but was bored too. And so sure, sure. I think I came across a magazine and it was like, you know, I think it was like a Mr. Beer kind of kit. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this would be awesome and make beer. Right. I, I didn't end up doing the Mr. Beer kit. I kind of went a little more into research and got a more nicer equipment, but right. it was the, the thought process got, you know, got the, the juices flowing to do this hobby. So got into making beer, uh, 2008, um, avid home brewer, entered a lot of competitions, um, caught the bug, you know, to, to really get into it. Right. Um, you know, I was, I was probably one of those typical people that I made my first batch of beer and I was like, I want to do this for my career kind of thing. And, um, and ended up actually doing it. So, uh, you know, made beer a lot. And then, uh, around 20, late 2010, early 2011, I, I met up with the guys from, uh, knee deep brewing company and they were, they were contract brewing up in Reno and they were ready to launch out here in Lincoln, actually at the old Beerman's facility. And so, um, I just kind of bugged them and said, Hey, you know, like I'm, I'm a relatively accomplished home brewer. I got some like first round NHC medals, you know, I like love this as a hobby. Like, would you let me come and bug you guys and well first I asked for a job and they said we're not hiring and so <laughs> sure sure and so uh I said well can I come like bug you and like just you know watch what you do and help out and make beer and they said sure so I came in and um you know helped on bottling and uh kegging off beer and milling grain and then brewing and um ultimately it was kind of like a like a fake internship you know for making right, beer, right. you know unofficial and then um I, I was winning medals at the time as a home brewer and uh, the the brewer owner there said, Hey, you know, if you want to make your own beer here, we can rock and roll it. We can put it, you know, in draft, it'll be a 15 barrel batch. And so I got to brew Zach's double IPA and, you know, <laughs> shoot it out. And back then, I mean, right. 2011, it was just a different world. Sure, so sure. To me, that was huge. So did that. And then um, life happened and I ended up not, not really working there or being a part of, of them anymore. But I got, you know, nine months in of learning a lot of, you know, production, industrial, technical, you know, brewing on that side, which I think is invaluable coming as being a home brewer, you know, the first time you see IPA tank, it's like, you know, it's, it's insane. So I uh, got, got my start there in the industrial setting and then I worked at a homebrew shop for a couple of years. Um, and I worked also at Mraz Brewing Company up mm-hmm. in Alvarado Hills. Um, and so I, I put in a couple years at the homebrew shop, um, still kind of fine, you know, fine tuning my beers. Um, cause I felt like I, I still wanted to go pro in some right, aspect right. and then got the job at Mirage, but I worked under, you know, Mike. And so I did all of his beers, you know, didn't really do my own thing there. So learn about, you know, mix firm at his spot, and, you know, barrel aging and then classic styles too. Um, and then somewhere in between when I was at both of those places, cause I worked at them in, at, in tandem, you know, working like six days a week, couple of days at Mraz, couple of days at the homebrew shop. Uh, I met the owners of, uh, a Moonraker at the time and he was looking to open a brewery and he was, he was homebrewing, but I think he was more homebrewing to have a test kind of pilot system to, sure. to work on. So kind of hobbyist for him, but I think it was more on the business angle because he was preparing to open and he came in and uh, I dealt with him from a customer service perspective. And he, uh, you know, I think, I think we clicked a lot in customer right. service and, and, you know, I think he admired what I did in terms of, uh, you know, talking about beer and educational aspect about beer for him as a home brewer and, and business. And then we started talking about business and he said, well, would you ever want to, you know, come work for me and like be like a head brewer. And I was like, well, I mean, that'd be awesome. You know, I mean, that's kind of like the dream, you know, right, right. Where I was at, at the time. So 
uh, you know, checked out the facility, uh, empty warehouse, you know, nothing in their bare bones. Um, we talked, interviewed, got hired, uh, separated from Roz, and uh, it was the Brewmeister homebrew shop at the time in mm -hmm. Roseville. Separated from both of those locations, both of those uh, jobs, and came on to Moonraker uh, as like the founding brewer, first right. employee. So came in, commissioned the facility, uh, put all the equipment in, um, you know, developed, uh, you know, all the recipes, all the standard operating procedures, hired all the initial people, uh, hired like my assistant brewer at the time, the first wave of tasting room people. So uh, kind of launched that company um, to some degree. Um, and, you know, the owners at the time, they, they didn't know a whole lot about beer from their sure, background. You sure. know, they, they were business people. And so they did give me creative freedom, which is really cool. And, and I remember at the time it was, uh, well, we want to put these beers in bombers and um, put them in gas stations. And I was like, at the time, so into cans and, and hazy IPA. And, sure, you know, I'm, sure. I'm like trading for these beers, you know, from Hill Farmstead and The Alchemist, you know, back then. And, right. You know, that was kind of like when that haze craze was really hot on the East Coast. And not much here. And I said, well, hey, how about this? What do you think about if we do, you know, uh, this kind of beer in this format and and sell it, you know, directly out of the tasting room? And he right, looked he looked right. at me like I was crazy. He's like, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> I'm going to sell like pallets of cans. Like, Just trust me on this <laughs> yeah. one. And I was pilot brewing on <laughs> sure, his system sure. at the time, too. And I'm like, and he was really into it. He's like, oh, yeah, these these hazy beers are rad. You know, this is different, yeah. you know? And, yeah. And so, um, you know, he, he gave the creative freedom and... Gave me the trust, and uh, you know I think the benefits did uh, exceed expectations uh, at some point. Sure, uh, we, sure. We, we ended up doing fairly well early on. I think especially because we we there was not much competition for that at the time. Right. Up, up in you know Northern California, nobody was really doing hazy IPA thing yet. I think even in California in general, the only people I knew that were doing it was like Monkish down south. Mm -hmm. We're just getting started and. Field work was just tapping into it, right, but they weren't right. putting in cans. Um, Alvarado Street was getting into it. Sure. So we like, we got this, you know, um, we, we caught it at the right time and, and kind of ran with it. And so I think that really helped sustain, you know, like reputation and, and what we were doing. Um, and so. Did, That's what puts you on our radar. And there's that <laughs> breakout brewer story on Moonraker from a number of years ago and craft beer and brewing for that same kind of reason. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that was a Highland Park uh, collab beer that we did for that, um, that article. Nice. So, so nice. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Did, did Moonraker, you know, That's true. there's a recipe from, uh, from those Moonraker days back. There in is man. There is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so subscribers definitely go dig into those archives. <laughs> Check that out. Shameless plug. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, did, did Moonraker, uh, you know, put in a good stint there for almost four years. And then I had, you know, another opportunity knocking on my door um, for Slice. And, uh, you know, the stars kind of aligned in a different way in terms of business and the way things were going personally in life and um, decided to do another startup project. So Came here, met with the owners of uh, Old Town Pizza, which is uh, intertwined with Slice, so co-ownership. I see what you did with the brand there. Oh, I, I know, right. Really yeah. blasted it. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we had multiple meetings uh, around the time when I left Moonraker, and they said, we want to open a brewery, and we want you to be involved and be a partner. And um, I, I couldn't really say no because the opportunity sure, was, was sure. too too good, you know, to have, you know, kind of back to creative freedom again and really commission the facility and kind of do things the way I wanted. So 
uh, you know, took, took upon that opportunity and, um, you know, we're, we're here now where it's at. Oh, hell yeah. And, uh, you know, back to those hoppy roots, you obviously brew a lot of beers here. It's not just about uh, hoppy beers, but that's certainly what people know you for. And it's what uh, a lot of your peers now respect you. And I mentioned I was coming up here. It's funny how many brewers may have heard that we were going to do this. And I, I mean, even over the last couple of weeks, I got some emails like, oh yeah, you're going to do this podcast with Zach. Because <laughs> uh, word gets out. And, yeah, uh, you know, people are interested. And I think people, even, you know, even your peer brewers want to, you know, kind of tap into that approach and kind of glean what they can from from the way that you think about these things because uh, there's a lot of respect out there for you. Let's talk about some of that. Let's talk about some of those approaches to uh to hops and to both West Coast IPA and Hazy IPA. But before we do that, supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while. So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more of concentrate from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment. To get started on a freight quote for craft concentrates today, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also looking for a good lager yeast, Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, and they provide brewers large and small with the most complete portfolio of dry lager yeast available anywhere. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit fermentus.com. So Zach, let's talk about this. Let's dive into to hops and hoppy beers. Um, like I said, you are crushing it on both the West Coast side and the hazy, juicy side. You've got the medals to to show for it on the hazy, juicy side, uh, you know. But I, I I see your beers show up on uh, West Coast IPA as dead Facebook group as uh, as often as as any other brewers, maybe more so, uh, because clearly there's there's a love there. Um, you know, and you've then followed this obviously from you know, learning, you know, for those early knee deep days, then through Moonraker, you know, and now here in Slice. Uh, you know, talk to me about that that uh, interaction between the two. You know, clearly, I mean, some people view these things in an oppositional way. Well, you know, one is one is this, one is that. You know, we like this or we don't like that. You know, but you take a you know, you embrace everything here. You love both of these styles. And you take a, an innovative approach that, you know, moves techniques between the two, moves hop flavor between those two. And you're learning, you know, even in both styles in a way that impacts the other style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, starting out as a home brewer, um, I, I got into like IPA um, right away. I, I, that's what I was drinking at the time. I, sure. I, lo- I loved hops and big aroma. And I was like veteran racer five drinker and stone ipa um uh and pliny to an and pig sure, you know, those, sure. those, those were like the beers back in 2008 that i was all about and so you know i wanted to make a couple of those beers you mentioned are, are still really good oh yeah, yeah they're, they're they're great still you know <laughs> nothing wrong yeah those are awesome beers um but but there those, was some there was some blind pig in uh, the open top fermenters yesterday at russian river and yeah. uh, i mean smelling it and looking at that uh uh, Corey's and, uh, you know, on the open top, oh, oh, it's just, just, just beautiful thing, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, as a home brewer, I wanted to, I wanted to not copycat those beers, but I wanted to create have, you know, I had inspiration from those beers. So I remember like going on, uh, 
you know, like homebrewtalk.com or just Googling like clones, like Lagunitas sure, IPA sure. clone, Racer 5 clone. And I would take all these beers, you know, right, or Pliny clone, because that 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 is like the clone of clones online. There's like so many iterations of Pliny out there. So Vinny's been very forthcoming with that recipe, which is very cool for homebrewers, especially at the time. And so I, except for nobody can actually get the CTZ that he uses <laughs> yeah, because man. no one picks it in the picking, no, unless you're Vinny, they don't pick yeah. it in the picking window for anyway. I can go for a Simcoe too, you know, yeah. he gets that special Simcoe. Sure. Sure. Um, so anyway, um, looking, you know, back then at, at recipes and, you know, I wanted to create something that was, um, I could call it my own. So right, right. Just not copying, like, you know, not trying to clone a beer, but I'd put out maybe four or five IPAs that I was really into. And then I would take components of those recipes and develop my own. Brew the beer as a home brewer, trial and error, come back, do it again. And and that was really elementary days because I knew nothing about water profiles right, right. or you know, yeast health or anything. So, but you know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit, um, when I started really paying attention to those uh, you know, fine details to how to make a good beer. Besides just recipe development, you know, you need to have, you know, good water or treat your water the right way. You know, you have to have good standard operating procedures and be sterile. So the the thing for me was, you know, it was all clear beer back then. I might brew a, a homebrew IP and it's kind of hazy, but that was techni- a technical flaw considerably. You sure, know? sure. And so when I went to Knee Deep, you know, we filtered there. We, we didn't only just plate and fl- frame filter. We also de-filtered, which was like double filtration, which was intense you know right and so i was taught in the production aspect that having haze was a huge flaw back in like 2010 2011 that's like a no-no like you want your beer to be crystal clear um and so that's kind of that was what i strived for at the time you know and and what i enjoy drinking a lot because like hazy commercial beer i felt like if it wasn't like like let's just pretend like new england ip is not a thing you had some kind of weird polyphenols going on in there and some weird mouthfeel. And I like it to be sharp and zippy and bright, you know, and, and right. a polished, you know, beer. So um, that's kind of the direction I was at. And then, you know, not long after that, you know, a year, two years after, um, you know, between friends, um, you know, like the co-owner here, Russ, was a good friend back then from home brewing. Um, you know, he'd, he'd get, you know, these cans uh, or bottles, some of them bottles of like, you know, stuff from the East Coast. Right, right. And we'd try the stuff. And then like my cousin on the East Coast, he'd send me stuff. We'd do little beer trades. And it, you know, it'd be the usual suspects. It was like, uh, you know, the Alchemist was like the first one. Sure, you know, sure. Eddie Topper. And then it was um, a lot of like Hill Farmstead growlers at the time. Right. You know, try to get that growl as fresh as possible, like overnight ship it. So he'll farm. Oh, yeah. nice shipping. <laughs> what, growlers of like Edward Pale Ale? Or, totally, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abner and stuff like that. <clears> yeah. <throat> so uh, Tired Hands too, you know. Right. Like, um, and then, you know, a little bit later on, it was like Trillium and Treehouse. But it was, it was more of those first ones that I, that I rattled off. And, and I was like, this is so the opposite of what I was like taught or what I, sure, what I perceived sure. just a couple years ago with like these double filtered beers. This is a totally different world. But but I like it. Like this is a different presentation on hops. And, you know, um, I was really interested in, in how you could get that amount of flavor in beer. Um, especially for people that were not like beer drinkers. I thought it was a very approachable form of IPA, you know? So I, you know, was, you know, after knee deep, I was at the homebrew shop and Mirage and I'm, 
I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start homebrewing this shit. I'm going to research it to death. I'm going to like take yeast out of the heady topper cans. You know, I'm going to take yeast out of these tire hands. <laughs> and they were like different yeast too. Sure, like, they're sure. behaving different. And, and then like reading, I think a lot of people are catching on that bug too. More and more right, in the forums, right. you know, you go on like homebrewtalk.com and it was like, you know, like, can I get like a clone for like Abner or like heady topper? And so a lot of people were talking about this stuff. And, um, so I'm homebrewing and I'm working at Mraz and I bring him into to Mike at the time and he'd go, this is amazing beer you're making at home. This shit will not sell though. How fucking hazy this is, dude. <laughs> I was like, little did he know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and so I got really into it. I felt like I was yeah. going in a really good direction of making these beers at home. Sure. Um, from the research and, and water, you know, development, you know, cause you know, with, with IPA West coast, it was like, and it still is for us really high sulfate, low chloride. Right. It's kind of a reversal on mm -hmm. that. Um, but still keeping it pretty soft with the haze for us. Um, I've seen people dumping maybe more chloride than I'm comfortable with. Uh, so we, we keep it pretty mellow on like, yeah. the parts per million still on our, on our ions. What does mellow mean then? Uh, it's under a hundred for sure of chloride. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're probably more in the 50 range. Are there specific chlorides that you prefer to, you know, that, that express better we, than others? We like calcium because, you know, calcium has yeast health for it too. So yeah, I, I've heard of other people using different chlorides. Um, we, we, I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to get the ion exchange and it's got calcium in it, why not? So we're calcium chloride, calcium sulfate. Um, but not we can go back into that, not to get too off topic. Uh, you know, I was doing the hazy IPA thing. Um, and then, you know, it, it did really, um, you know, when we started producing it commercially at Moonraker was that that was kind of like when the bell started ringing. We're like, whoa, like people are really into this. This has some traction to it. Sure. And, and then it, it blew up. Obviously, you've, you've seen it over the years. It's just every year it's like more can options, more hazy IP options. And I mean, it's like a BA style now, you know, for like, you know, it's multiple BA style saying. Yeah. Now, I mean, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but it goes to what you were saying before that this is this made it accessible because the flavors themselves and the way that they convey, it's something that people can understand. You know, they, right. they have they have, you know, those connections within their own flavor and palate lexicons. And so. You know, they can connect to those more so than just bitter. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember when I was graining out at Moonraker one time, this guy stopped me and he was like, I never came, I never liked beer or came to breweries until you because I was uh, like a screwdriver drinker. And it was like that orange citrus that he was into and something with hazy IPA kind of triggered the brain and, and made him go, you know, this is what I like now in terms of beer. It wasn't even a beer drinker. And I think a lot of people kind of, that was a very approachable way to get people into drinking beer was this like, you know, pseudo New England, hazy, juicy IPA thing. So, um, but I think, you know, in, in the big picture, there's room for both. I, I, I love West Coast IPA and I still like them crystal clear, even filtered, you know? Sure, sure. Well, and the fascinating thing that we're seeing today, and, you know, one thing that, you know, you will readily admit is that uh, the techniques and, and some of the approaches developed in Hazy IPA have directly impacted the development of West Coast IPA. You know, that these things now you can't, it's harder and harder to separate those. And that uh, whether it's, it's whirlpool hopping techniques or, you know, late hopping techniques, whether it's you know, driving, uh, you, you know, under, understanding biotransformation to, to push flavor, which is a separate and completely separate thing from the haze and haze stability, you know, 
on on its own. Um, you know, all of these pieces now are you know moving back and forth, and techniques are are influencing style to style. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely believe there is some crossover. Um, when I look back at like 2008 homebrew, even into like knee deep time commercial, and what they've turned into, um, like the evolution of hoppy beer, <clears throat> there is some crossover. I think from the inspiration or, or design of hazy IPA to West Coast these days in that approachable sense. Um, because I, I'm sure you remember maybe like back in 2010, you had those like IBU wars. You remember you had like green flash palette record and like sure, stone sure. ruination. And it was just like, how many BUs can you pack into this beer just to rip your face apart? You know, there was that McKellar beer, like 1000 <laughs> IBU IPA. I like, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like, it's all theoretical. But all yeah. theoretical. <laughs> and of course not, not real, but, uh, but great marketing. Absolutely. Um, I mean, great marketing then. Maybe not so great marketing now. Like a thousand IBUs. Who the fuck wants to drink that, right? <laughs> it's a different world for sure. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about your, you know, now new school current approach to West Coast IPA. What does that look like now? You know, I, I just, I mean, but the, from the time we started the podcast to now, I've somehow finished an entire glass of your West Coast IPA. Um, and it was absolutely delicious you know clear crisp but also juicy fruity you know has these beautiful tropical elements to it with with also a really nice structure but there's a there's just like a like you know a a luxurious confidence to it where you know it's not trying to prove anything and it's not oh it's not excessive you know it's it's pulling all of this flavor within this kind of beautiful restraint to it talk to me about how you are building both you know the balance but also this you know expression you know that, that doesn't have to overdo it and that pulls it all together in this tight package yeah yeah sure so um you know with kind of we're talking about crossover um you know with hazy ipa you know um if they're done right you know there, there's there's like a softness and kind of like an elegance to them there can also be very rough and green flavors too so with the the, the better side of hazy ipa was was the theory that i wanted to go in the direction of west coast ipa and simplifying it so you know back you know a long time ago west coast ipa to me was like you know very strong bitterness pretty supporting malt foundation um, and, and, and very aggressive. Um, and, and I think more now is that they are simplified, they're structured, um, they're leaner than what they used to be. And I think the hop expression is there in terms of all hop flavor and aroma and maybe less bitterness. They're still very sharp and blocky is the way I like to make them. Um, but, but I think, you know, it is more of a hop flavor, aromatic experience versus just bitterness for the sake of bitterness. And, and supporting malt to me is, is good still if done right. Um, but I'd, I would prefer to go more on the lean side in terms of drinkability and packaging sustainability. You know, you have a beer that's got a, a good foundation of malt in it. That beer might rock for a week, but is it going to rock in six weeks or eight weeks? You know, especially in the canned format. Uh, that's very competitive these days with, um, you know, being on a shelf or, right, or being tra- right. traded or whatever, whatever your format is in distribution of beer. So for me. So, so let's dive into that. What is what is malt in your West Coast IPA look like? The one I had was all Pilsner malt. Uh, 
Um, you know, are, are you really just, are you generally just sticking to single malts, two row or Pilsner, depending on, you know, what the design, uh, you know, construction is, you know, what, what does that malt base then look like for your, your West coast IPAs? Sure. So it, it is all Pilsner. We, we do use a different, a variety of different Pilsner malts. We don't, oh, yeah? we don't rely on one Pilsner. So, um, why yeah. and what Pilsner malts? So, uh, so the one you had was, was raw pills. Um, and we like raw pills. Um, I f- we feel like it's got a little bit more with pH. It got a little more acidity than the other ones. So, you know, uh, it's a little more acidic, meaning we use less, uh, acid, uh, in the mash or adjustment. Uh, we keep the salts, the same, the ions, uh, for the profile of the beer. Um, it's very easy to work with. Conversion's good. It lauders really good. It drops clear. Um, so you know, I'm not trying to plug RAR too much, but you know, that is, that is a very good malt for us. Um, I didn't put you up to that just cause they, they sponsor the podcast from, you know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also like, uh, we like Gambrinas pills. Cool. Uh, super lean, really light. I think, I think Evan from Green Cheek told me about that one, turned me on to that one. Yeah. And they were, you know, we were trying some of their beers back then and, and I'm like, man, these beers are so lean. And so we have certain, we have certain malts with certain hops that we feel work better together than others. What? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, what? Yeah. So like if there's I, certain Pilsner malt that works better with certain hops, yeah, oh, yeah, you got to yeah. tell me about that. <laughs> so, I mean, so like back to the Gambrinas thing, it's extremely lean, right? Okay. And, and the, the shelf stability on our Gambrinas beers are, are pretty amazing. I, I could crack a can like most of the time, two and a half, three months later, and it's tasting pretty bright still. And so for us, we have, we have a series of, um, it's, they're all like New Zealand hop beers. So it's, it's usually a single New Zealand hop, but we've done one recently where we blend them all. So it's, it's, it's called our blinding series. We have like a blinding sunrise, blinding sunset, blinding sunlight. And then the last one was blinding moonlight where they're all blended. So there's something with like Nelson and a very lean canvas that just like works really well together versus having a bunch of malt in there. I, I'm not sure. And not like other Pilsner malts have a bunch of malt, but RAR and some other ones that I could rattle off, they do have a little bit more shoulders to them than like Gambrinas. So Gambrinas to me, it can almost be maybe too lean for like a competition beer. Huh. Like a judge might knock it. Right. Like, like literally we got knocked at World Cup and GABF for some of our beers. They're like, <laughs> this is this is like Pilsner level, you know, like beer. Like right, this is like, right. like a lager. I love it because it rocks. It rips for the hops, and it's a good showcase for like this New Zealand character. We've done it with like Pacific Northwest hops, and it doesn't quite pop the same way. Hmm. I don't know how to explain it. So, Interesting. Just trial and error, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah. With with the New Zealand hops, Nelson, Rawaka, Nectaron. Those were like the three single ones we did in the series, and then the last one we blended all those together, um, and it it just did. It rips, you know. You have any of that on tap? Because I'm gonna have to try some of that uh, if you have anything I, I, left. I don't, man. Oh, <laughs> crushed, crushed. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and we've done it. We've done like that with like mosaic too, yeah. like 100 mosaic beer, and it it does really good too. But something with New Zealand, and I don't know if that's um, maybe something from like the old school, like Alpine Nelson. You know, it was just like this, like Nelson kind right, of showcase right. with like a pretty simple, you know, malt profile. Uh, but like West Coast kind of like really crystal clear version sure, you know, sure. in that aspect. So that, that was something. So those are those the two kind of Pilsner malts that you tend to use? Or is, or is there anything else there that uh, hits your, your malt base for these? Well, those are workhorse. Um, we recently brought in uh, CMC, Superior Pils, Canadian Malting Company. Mm. 
Uh, we used that in our Beachwood collab. So, so Shrego, he kind of turned us on to that for our double. And then we rocked it in a couple singles and a couple more doubles. And that's another rad malt too. Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, nice conversion, you know, lauder's really good. Um, but that and the Shrego raw, guy knows a thing or two. I yeah. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, um, CMC and the RAR, they definitely have more more body and shoulders than like Gambrinus does. Hmm. So I think there's like a, a place for these malts with hops or kind of the vision of the way you want the beer to turn out, you know, versus just having a silo of, um, you know, your 100% two-row or Pilsner malt, and you just run every beer that way. We could, and it, they probably turn out still pretty good, um, but I think they're a little bit better based off the vision of what you're going to have with these hops and malt, you know, how they balance out, so... Do you use all Pilsner malt then in your West Coast IPAs, or do you ever duck into some some churro? So uh, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. So back at at Moonraker, we did like a lot of different things. It was like Turo, it was like Pilsner, it was like we'll splash in some Munich, some Vienna, Crystal, you know, Carafoam. Um, Throwback, it, it, totally. But but you know what? Those beers were pretty, still pretty lean, and, right? And so some of the curve here when I commissioned slices. Back at Moonraker, we had steam facility, you know, on, on our on our burner. It was, it was a steam brew house, both facilities that I commissioned there. Here, it's a direct fire, and it rips. So it really wants to caramelize more than a steam system would. Mm. So when I first did the first beers here, they did have some of those components that those old recipes had in them. Right. I mean, there was some crystal malt in the IPAs. There was a little bit of Munich. There was two-row base. And I'm drinking these beers, and I'm like, they're good. For a couple of weeks, but they're they're falling off a cliff pretty fast, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, a lot of it, you know, is like some of that crystal malt you get from like the UK. It's it's already oxidized. It's like oxidized malt, so you're already at a disadvantage when you put it in your beer from day one. You're like sure, mashing sure. in like oxidation, you know. Um, and then you couple that with like real oxidation, like you know, like high, like maybe well, we never had any issues with TPO or like DO, but, sure, sure. but still, it's there. And then some Maillard reaction from a direct fire kettle on top of that. Totally, man. You know, you throw in like some Munich malt and rock a ninety minute boil. You're just, you know, asking for, you know, some kind of a component of sweetness and right. and being it malt driven versus hop driven. And so trying these beers, you know, as I kept brewing them, I'm like liking them. More and more as I'm taking out malt, you know, and just kind of like, hey, let's like, let's scrap this. I'm liking it more. Hey, let's, let's cut this back. I'm liking it more. And so we, I mean, we've just settled on this kind of array of Pilsner malts um, now that, that kind of work for us. We'll still use some hmm. two row, uh, but like, it's crazy. If we did the same beer that was 100% raw two row versus like Gambrina's pills or even raw pills, um, they're like different worlds, you know? Huh. So we still dig two row, but we might even blend it with Pilsner sometimes. It's kind of just the vision of what we want the beer to be as an end result. Uh, if we want like a little bit more body or character with the certain hop varieties, or if it's a collab, you know, we're receptive right. to kind of using some stuff that's kind of out of our wheelhouse. So, well, let's talk about hops themselves because here, you know, especially within that scope of West Coast IPA. But before we do that, of course, you all love podcasts. You're listening to this one right now. If, uh, if you're interested in another podcast, it's going to give you some great information on ingredients and usage and everything else. Check out the Brew Deck podcast from our friends at Country Malt Group. Um, it's pretty cool. They cover topics from selecting and sourcing raw materials to innovative new products, entertaining stories and insights 
The Brew Deck Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today. And if you're looking for it on something like Apple Podcasts, uh, just look for Country Mall Group because that'll that'll uh, show it up for you. Also, Arrived Mobile Point of Sale powers places with personality. Arrived is streamlining business operations for the makers of craft with an all-in-one solution that was built with love by hospitality professionals. No contracts and no monthly fees make Arrived a no-brainer for your craft business. Go to Arrive.com forward slash CBB to set up a free customized demo. That's Arrived, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com forward slash CBB. A different kind of POS has arrived. So, Zach, let's dive into hops. Clearly, this is a, uh, a subject that you're deeply engaged in, um, you know, and, and you work across a spectrum of hops, uh, you know, from American hops to New Zealand hops to um, interesting blends of old and new school hops, which seem to be driving some creativity for you. Talk to me about, uh, you know, uh, you know, some of the different buckets that you might put uh, your hoppy beers into in terms of blends, approaches that create this kind of range to your uh, hoppy offerings. So uh, with with our IPAs, uh, and if we're talking West Coast IPA, um, we do like to uh, structure those beers to be pretty assertive still. Um, but we we have cut back to what our IPAs were, um, or at least the way I was brewing them five, 10 years ago. And so- What does that, that mean? So um, in terms of, of BUs, they're a lot less than, than what we were calculating early on. Oh yeah? Um, like what's a typical goal? Uh, and obviously there's gonna be some range here depending on others. Right, right. And so I think it's, it's a variety specific to what the recipe design would be. Meaning if we were going to do a single hop beer and it was all mosaic, I would treat that beer a lot different than if it was all Chinook or like hundred percent Centennial based off studying the oil components of what those hops are. Let's, you know, like the sea hops are very high in Cohimolone. Um, and so they give a lot more of an assertive bite uh, to what you might get in a beer versus something like Citra uh, which is low cohemulone and, you know, just a different oil composition um, or Simcoe, you know, is really soft too. Um, you, you're going to get different components in terms of bitterness and overall flavor based off different hop varieties. So IBU isn't IBU. <laughs> IBU has this, some other uh, influencing factors in terms of how people perceive it. Right, right. So I, I, I could never take the same recipe if, if I was going to like say, you know, like I said, do one hop variety versus another, I think it all depends on what that hop is. So a good, you know, uh, and so for something that's more assertive, like a classic C hop, you would actually shoot for a slightly lower IBU, lower hop load, just because you know that that's going to present as more biting. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we, we cut back at least on the kettle side for sure. Um, and maybe even the dry hop too, a little bit. Uh, of that hop variety, um, or just, you know, it's a balancing act. You got to kind of have the vision and figure out what direction it's going to go. Cause you don't want it to be too sweet. You don't want it to be too assertive. So it's, you really want to meet in the middle and try right. to get all that hop flavor and aroma that you're, you're shooting for. Do you have so, a formula for this or is this just basically uh, you know, kind of a shoot from the hip, you know, and as you're developing the recipe, you, you can visualize it. I, I think just, um, you know, commissioning the system and really getting getting close with the way that these beers taste, you know, from a sensory perspective and really sitting down and kind of being honest with yourself. Like, is this something that I'd be really stoked on if someone else made it, you know, sure. And, you know, like I know this is my beer and 
you know, it's tough to like not love your own kids, but you have to really say like, would I be, would I be pumped if this was my beer or if this was someone else's beer? And so you kind of go work backwards, you know, you, you, you brew and then you say, okay, maybe this is not the direction I want the beer to be in terms of the malt too, or, or the hop character. Um, and so in a pragmatic sense, then like, what does that range look like? You know, if you're trying to shoot for a similar end goal, you know, where would that C hop be in terms of planned IBU calculated IBUs versus, you know, a mosaic or a Simcoe? Sure. Sure. So I, I can give you a spectrum is that typically most of the beers are falling for single IP in the 40 to 60 range of like a, a calculated IBU. Um, you know, it's, but that's still a 20, 20 IBU range there between the top and the bottom. Pretty big swing. So, right. Right. So, you know, if, if we were going to use C hops, um, you know, it, it might be, uh, in the kettle, you know, maybe 10 to 15% of the hopping. And then the other, you know, remaining, um, you know, 85, 90% would be built around other hop varieties. So just to give a little bit of bite in there, um, and it would typically be in the whirlpool. Um, and then in the dry hop, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to, to split it in, but I usually keep it at about, about a quarter of the dry hop of a C hop. So if that was like Columbus mm -hmm. or Chinook, um, or Centennial, uh, or Cascade, any of those standard C hops, um, the thing that we, we really like about, you know, like the C hops for us blending with the sexies is it, it definitely keeps with the, the sexies. <laughs> hey, you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. <laughs> um, it, it, it seems to keep that aroma hanging around a long time. Yeah. Like, like something about putting Columbus in with like Citra, Simcoe Mosaic really holds on to those, those three other good hops. While sometimes, you know, those, those, those hops are so high impact early on fresh, but they kind of start to curve downhill after a while. Hmm. But you throw a little Chinook in there at Columbus, it kind of brightens them all up and keeps them alive for a while. Gives them longevity in the in the package. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Um, and and you know, I've only talked to a few brewers about this kind of theory, but I know brewers that already kind of do that. They formulate that with their recipes. And and you can tell you try the beers and you're like, man, this beer still rips. You know, it's like eight weeks old and it smells like it's like a week old, you know, it's mm. still hanging on cause it's got maybe something in there more than just Citra, you know? Right. So what um, do you think it is about those sea hops that, that lends it that kind of longevity and, and helps it kind of, um, you know, improve that long-term brightness. I, I think it just comes down to the oil composition mm -hmm. and what, what those hops are built around. Cause they look a lot different on paper than, than like some of the, you know, the like citrus Simcoe mosaic. Right. Um, and specifically that we see it without like getting too deep into the oil content is, is the cohumulone's pretty high. And so it's something to do with maybe that and, you know, um, pairing it up with another hop, you know, I'm not smart enough to know hops from a scientific <laughs> perspective. I talk like Matt, hey, Matt Brendelson or something. Sure, <laughs> sure. But, but we've just seen it from trial and error. Right, you know? right. Uh, if it works, it works. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that we won't rock, you know, like an all mosaic beer. Or, sure. Or, you know, just do sure. all, the, all the sexy hops. Or, um, you know, one thing that we do see, too, kind of in that same wheelhouse but different is pairing like New Zealand hops with like American hops that mm -hmm. give you this really awesome complexity and kind of some longevity in, in different kinds 
kinds of profiles. What would a blend look like for that? You know, typically speaking, or not, not that there's anything typical, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I could tell you one that like that recent in my mind that we were really stoked on was we did a collab with Ghost Town out in Oakland. Those guys are making awesome West Coast hoppy beer. Uh, it was Nelson and like really good Nelson too. So every all the hop you know varieties on a rattle off they they all came from people that are just making crushing you know the hop game. So mm-hmm. it was like Nelson from Freestyle. Um, the Rewaka came from Hopper Evolution, actually, and it was just amazing Rewaka. And then it was uh, uh, Mosaic, um, which I can't remember the farm, but the Simcoe Cryo was Peralt. Um, and so it was like, you know, Simcoe, Mosaic were like our two Pacific Northwest hops, and then Nelson Rewaka. And that combination was just this awesome synergy of you know, complexity with, mm-hmm. you know, tropical, but like dank. And then you get like that New Zealand, you know, kind of stink going on. Um, so <laughs> we were, and, we, and, you know, we were cracking cans of that pretty late too, like seven, eight week old cans and they were ripping still. Yeah. So some kind of, you know, you blend like the New Zealand's with the, you know, Pacific Northwest stuff is kind of like blending some of the sea hops with like the sexies, you know, you mm-hmm. get this kind of different complexity. Um, now, what do what do general ratios look like? That, you know, when you're blending these sea hops with your your sexier citra or or whatnot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, how what what's the point at which they they start to make a difference? So we'll we'll usually pick like two. Um, I guess it depends on what the recipe is, but like so that was four hops in that Ghost Town collab. We just we did just Mosaic and Simcoe just for the kettle and whirlpool, mm-hmm. just to kind of simplify it. And then we just, you know, really piled in the dry hop with those other four varieties. Um, and those were split four ways evenly. So it was, uh, to make it simple, it was a 4.4 mm-hmm. pound per barrel dry hop of 1.1 of each variety. Yeah. And, you know. and do a 10 barrel system or? Uh, so ten, we, we do have a 10 barrel direct fire system uh, and we have 20 barrel uh, fermenters. Mm-hmm. So we have six 20s and um, yeah, yeah, it ended up being, you know, 4.4 pound per barrel dry hop for that beer. Um, Somehow cleverly aligns with uh, package bag size and, and everything else. Go figure. That's, that's the formula. Right, yeah, right. We, we don't have to have open bags. <laughs> no, we don't do that anymore unless unless we have to. Right, right. Uh, right. For the kettle hops, no big deal. But for the dry hops, it's always fresh bags. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, now you all are, are now large enough to select some hops, right? Uh, you know, or at least uh, maybe if not large enough. What, what's the volume these days? Um, I think you still have to hit uh, 500 pounds mm-hmm. per variety. And so we could do group selection. We haven't done that yet for our, our uh, we're contracted with YCH for our main hops, mm-hmm. but we got, um, we're paired with uh, Freestyle for Nelson. And I think future Rewaka we're on for like 2023. We, we get Rewaka with Freestyle. Uh, we have Rewaka and Nectaron through NZ Hops. Which I should reach out. I don't. I don't know if we can select with them. And then we get uh, Strata from Indy, which they're always. They've always been every year very cool on selection. So you're still making a lot of these beers with hops that are not necessarily selected hops. That uh, you know, and they're delicious and award winning beers. Right. Even you know, which is a fascinating thing to me. Obviously, you know, most professional brewers talk about selection, very key factor, and yeah. the way they make great beers. But then you've got folks like you know Burke Gilman who come along. And, uh, you know, absolutely crush it with no, no selected hops because they're never going to be big enough to, to do that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, it, selection alone is not necessarily, a, you know, the, the key to success here. It's certainly 
a good thing. I mean, most brewers love that, that having that extra level of control. Um, you know, talk to me about how you take some of these hops that, uh, you know, are not necessarily selected hops and, you know, maximize the expression of those. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll say all around, it seems like quality has gone up significantly in, you know, the past years with, with most, you know, hop manufacturers are just, you know, the, the, the level is, is high. So, so with our, our main hops um, from YCH, uh, we are contracted, but we do not select because we don't, we don't hit that volume. Right, right. And then we do select with, uh, we selected this year Freestyle Nelson, and then we selected, uh, we select Strata every year. You know, they're cool enough to where both of those, yeah, you know, freestyle yeah. and, and indie, where we're under 500 and they'll let us select anytime. So you win a few medals, you know, <laughs> some, sometimes the hop companies will bend the rules for you that way. Well, I also wrote big contracts for that other brewery before too, with yeah. selection. So that might have sure, some, some sure. pulls. So, um, but, but anyway, uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll get stuff on the table and we'll select. And it's, it's crazy how, you know, you, you think you know something or at least you select and then you get it later on and you're like, wow, this is not what I thought I rubbed or smelled on the table that one day. Like, are these guys messing with me? Is this the same lot? You know, which I'm, I'm confident it is the same lot. Right. But, right. but you know, it's funny how just things change during the, the pelletizing process and, or, you know, your own sensory, your own you know? sensory for sure. You know, sure. like, like did I have like, you know, a breakfast burrito and all of a sudden I'm doing selection and I got like this, like hot sauce in my, like, you know, olfactory senses. I see that all the time because I'll, I'll, you know, taste a beer in one scenario and then come back, you know, a week later and try it. And I mean, my body chemistry changes even in that short amount of time. If I've gone for a mountain bike ride earlier, like, you know, that'll change the way that I even taste things. It's funny. The more you get into this, the more you, you become distrustful of your own sensory system, which is, uh, it's kind of a weird thing to totally. No, I mean, we, we get surprised all the time. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and even like we did, uh, for freestyle Nelson, we, we did kind of like a little group with Moxa, you know, this year, just a few weeks ago. And we had a bunch They're the of number two brewery in Rockland County, right? Uh, like in, in rock or <laughs> <laughs> Placer County, Placer. Oh, Placer County. Placer County. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. No, Derek, Derek. <laughs> number was, one in uh, Rockland. Yeah. Derek was talking to me about, I was like, you know, we would be the number one brewery here. If it weren't for slice, oh really? <laughs> I have to give me shit about that. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, anyway, we we put a bunch of Nelson on the table, and uh, interesting enough, we did all kind of come to a consensus of agreement. Right. Uh, yeah. Even though we weren't contracted uh, together for for a group, you know, buy in, we we were on separate playing fields. We just we did selection together just because it'd be fun. Sure. Um, and so we did both kind of randomly pick the same lot, but all the Nelson on the table was really good. Nothing was bad at right, all, but right. you could see how someone might say, you know, like, man, this one's just a diesel bomb. Like, or this one just is muted, you know? Um, and so, yeah, you know, what did I have for like lunch before I went to Moxie? You know, what, what triggered me to pick that lot? Who knows? You know what I mean? Maybe if it would have been a different day or time, or I had something else to eat that day, I might've said, Hey, I like sure, sure. lot five, you know, this lot instead of that lot. So, um, so, you know, we are kind of at a disadvantage with, and I don't even know if it's a disadvantage, um, but not being able to select our main hops, like our Simcoe Citra Mosaic. Um, I do feel that the quality all around is, is very good of what we get. Um, my, my new, like, trick now, this is my own thing that I do, is I, you know, I'll collab with people or go to other breweries and I'll smell whatever they got. 
And I'm like, man, you got some rip in Citra. Let me check out that lot number. And since we're contracted, I can always request that lot number still. And so I'll just hit up YCH and say, hey, you have this lot? Like, we want this. And, uh, and most of the time lately, we've been, we've been scoring it. Um, I know that's like an old seller maker thing, too, is they would just find <laughs> these like lots and then just like throw a bunch of money at YCH and be like, give us all this Simcoe. Sure, we don't sure. want anything else. So I've kind of been like doing that lately. Um, just find, find those breweries that are large enough to select. <laughs> Do those collabs and then, exactly. yeah, you know, right, yeah. piggyback it. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that's a, kind of our thing. That's a smart strategy, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll collab or we'll be at a brewery and see what they got. And then I just I take down a lot number. And if we're stoked on whatever and just hit up, you know, YCH and say, hey, do you got this? And we've been scoring a little bit this year. So, yeah, that's kind of our thing with the hops. Um Cool. Are there any uh, any budding hops that you've uh, been playing around with lately that uh, that have really been uh, driving some stoke for you? Yeah. So uh, I think Nectaron last year, when that first was kind of getting hot, mm-hmm. I think even it was maybe even a couple years ago. But we we contracted it last year, and um, we got we didn't select, but we just got what we got. I think actually it was maybe even spot back then, but we ended up doing, uh, you know, like part of that single hop New Zealand series. Right. I think that one was called blinding sunset with hundred percent nectar on. And that, that, that beer with that hop was just ripping, you know, that was like that game, Gambrina's Pilsner, like lean, just all nectar on. And it was like a really good lot of nectar on. Um, Anybody who listens to that old podcast, the podcast I did with Stan Hieronymus when he was talking about nectar on some brewers, you know, immediately contracted or, or bought Nectar on following that. And they've told me about that, that uh, it was funny to see like, uh, you know, just the ripples out from that kind of thing. Oh, oh yeah. We, we, we didn't, con- we were one of them to spot though. We, oh, yeah. we, we listened to that and we were like, what's this like? Cause, cause like New Zealand <laughs> yeah, hops. Sure. Cause, Cause like around here, we're big. Like Nelson. Jude from Hop Butcher did the same. He's like, you know, we went home oh, yeah. and bought some Nectar on immediately <laughs> as soon as we heard that. Like, yeah, you know, that that's cool. I mean, you know, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stan is Stan is a national treasure. That's awesome. Yeah. The uh yeah, no, we we literally we like listen to that and we're we're big fans of like Nelson and Rawaka. Sure. You know, sure. And have been for I think literally since Alpine Nelson like came out. We've absolutely so so much about that hop and and New Zealand hops in general. Um and so when we heard that and just the kind of promotion of that hop, we're like, Oh man, you're really reeling me in right, right here to right. this hop. So and we, we just spotted it. We gave it a shot. And uh, we used it in haze, actually, at first, just to kind of test it. Because I feel like the expression of, of haze is so much more yeast-driven versus West Coast can really show what that hop's about. So yeah. we, we actually did it in haze to kind of just see what it would like turn out like. And we were so surprised on how aromatic that hop was mm. in haze versus being yeast-driven. And so then we had that same you know spot. Um, allotment that we still had you know inventory of and we gave a shot on just a west coast and it just it rips so ne- nectarons you know nectaron and ra- west coast ipa huh nectarons on the radar for haze too um sure uh and your new hops uh you know five i think 586 is starting to kind of create some some waves i'm surprised it doesn't have a name yet um we were using it a couple years ago um it's changed a little bit um and now I see it in the cryo forum. We did a collab with Ghost Town at their spot, and it had some 586 cryo, and that was, I was screaming pretty loud. Um, very unique hop qualities, you know, different than right, like your standard, right. standard, you know, qualities you get out of, like, the sexies. Um, what else? I'm not sure. You know, I kind of 
auto tune back to some of the, the old school hops too still, you know? Fair enough. Can't, can't Fair forget, enough. forget about those sea hops. Let's talk about your uh, hazy brewing strategy. You sure. know, obviously we've talked about West Coast a lot here. Now we've talked about hops, uh, all very, very cool stuff. Um, you know, let's talk about building a, a base for those that hop expression within a hazy beer and building a, a kind of stable haze out of that. What is, uh, you know, what's a kind of a grist base then look you know, within your, your hazy beer program. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, you have won a few medals of this, you know, <laughs> between all of the major competitions. So we should probably talk about that and not just West Coast IPA. Hey, hey, hey fair enough. Yeah. So, um, uh, Pilsner again, too, is, is kind of the mm-hmm. back to the, you know, that's our, our standard, um, keeping it light and bright, keep it light. You know, I, I did used to use a lot of other boutique, uh, base malts, which I still like a lot. Uh, the Thomas Fawcett lineup, mm-hmm. they, I mean, they make just some amazing malt, you know, it's really characterful malt, um, that, that presents a lot of good qualities. But um, we, we do like the lean quality, too. So uh, we do still use some um, Thomas Fawcett malts here and there. Um, but our, our core, you know, for our haze is, is Pilsner. And, uh, you know, we're, we're big on Vireman for that uh, versus like the Gambrinas and the RAR. Vireman pills yeah, man, for yeah. hazy IPA. For haze, dude. Yeah, dude. What? Yeah, I know. Mind, <laughs> mind blowing. <laughs> Uh, How did you get to that? Uh, something with the protein makeup. It, okay. just, it behaves a little bit different than huh. the other ones do. So, and we've, we've tried the other ones in Hayes, and we kind of we default back to that. So, uh, Vireman. Well, I mean, um, it's a great crossover because you're also making Hellas uh, and other lagers here oh, too. Yeah. And so, you know, you get some you dual purpose out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's got uh, Barca in it. I, mm. think, I think that's the way you pronounce it, Bark, Barca. Yeah. Barca, yeah. yeah. 100% that one. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, we really like Vireman, um, yeah. especially like for the lagers too. But but for Hayes, um, that's kind of our go-to. And But like I said, we like Thomas Fawcett still. And mm-hmm. We'll feather in sometimes some of their malts. Um uh, but so typically Vireman base, and then it's usually around the 70 to 80% range. And then the, the makeup, uh, is usually, you know, some type of an adjunct, uh, or flaked malt. Right. Um, right. So, so any kind of combination of wheat oats, exactly. It's kind of the standard these days, you sure. know, so malted oats, flaked oats, but fl- 20 to 30% wheat. even. Yeah. Yeah. So, so about That's pretty significant. It's, it's a, a hefty amount. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, unmalted wheat, flaked wheat, malted oats, flaked oats, uh, spelt, chit, you know, some of those. Just kind of depends on the vision that we have of the beer or, you know, you know what, what we're looking to achieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, if it's a collab, you know, we like to try new stuff that sure, people sure. are doing that we're not doing. So, um, we also use a little bit of Carafoam for some body. So, we're like in the 3 to 5% range for, mm-hmm. for our standard, you know, just to really give like that you know, mouthfeel body perception. So that's the base. Um, we do treat our, our hazy IPA different with the water profile than we do West coast. So we go high on the sulfate, right. low on the chloride for the West coast to get it, you know, really sharp and blocky. And we do go, um, it's kind of like a flip. Uh, it's like a two to one ratio of chloride to sulfate, but it's very low still. Two to one. Yeah. You have chloride to sulfate of those ions. Right. With calcium being the exchange ion, you mm-hmm. know, just to, to build up. So, but everything is typically under a hundred parts per million. You know, I've, I've 
been to other breweries and talked to a lot of people that are making, you know, these, these hazy IPAs for years and they're just, they're dumping in just tons of these ions and, and that that's fine. And, and a lot of these people make really good beer too. And I try it and I would never right. even know, but just for my personal sensory, I think coming back from homebrewing was, I used to do these trial and error things with just pushing the boundaries on, you know, this, these ion exchanges and just going through the roof on sulfate or going through the roof on chloride. And, and the fact is chloride is a pretty nasty tasting ion on itself. If you just dump it in water and taste it at like a pretty high, you know, parts per million, it tastes gross, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, so I just think about that in the full presentation of the beer. And so we keep it really soft still all around. And I can see that, that, uh, you know, the ratio is one thing, but the, that total dissolved solids level is actually, I mean, it's significant in lager, but it, you know, it's interesting to think that that is also significant in something like hazy IPA. Um, you know, and certainly when we are getting at it from a sensory perspective, you can taste the chalkiness, you know, that, that kind of drying chalkiness that comes with this really intense mineral, uh, you know, component to it. Right. And, uh, and keeping that low allows some of those juicier flavors and some of those maltier flavors to, to push forward. I think just the beer in general. You yeah. Know, you, you want to taste all those raw material components of the beer. And um, and we have really just beautiful water up here, you know, in, in Lincoln. This whole Placer County area, you know, you're getting like the snow runoff from Tahoe. So right, it's, it's right. really soft. If, if you look at it on paper, it looks like RO water. You know, for us, everything's under 20 parts. So it's, oh, that's great. You know, I mean, alkalinity hits like 18. That's like the highest thing, you know, and we get water tests every six months to, to make sure that, um, you know, everything's pretty consistent and right. uh, we'll see little spikes, you know, around this time of year, cause things are starting to melt up on the mountain. The water changes. Um, I know like in pockets of Rockland, they'll actually, they'll, they'll change to like the city to well water sometimes. Like they'll flip them back and forth, like change the valves. So there's that, that would make me a little, worrisome on consistency but for us in lincoln we're just getting we're hitting the same water every time um so it's soft and i like to keep it soft and just get you know those ions in there for a little bit of complexity right but also some calcium you know so both you know calcium sulfate and calcium chloride have you know that ion attached to it so get enough calcium in for the yeast health um and you know the yeast strains that we do use for hazy ipa can uh, you know, have trouble sometimes with attenuation and we strive for, you know, a good attenuation and healthy fermentation with the beer. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, water is a component, you know, to, to making these beers, but, but having, right. you know, just a, a very well-structured beer and, and healthy fermentation is key too. What does healthy fermentation look like for your hazy IPA? Yeah. So, um, and what do you ferment with obviously in the process? Yeah, sure. So, um, the one thing that West Coast IPA and Hazy IPA uh, have in common is we do mash these beers very low. So we want to encourage, you know, attenuation. Um, right. Even, even in the Hazy IPA. Even in Hazy IPA. I mean, we are adding in, you know, these bodybuilding malts like Carafoam um, and, and, you know, on, you know, wheat and oats and stuff. And so uh, we, we want with what we see with, with these yeast strains that we use, they, they, they finish high by design. It's not like, you know, our West Coast IPA beers finish at like 1.5 to 2 Plato. You know, it's pretty common for, for these hazies, like the singles to finish around the three, three and a half range and the doubles like the four and a half to five range sometimes. I and mean, that's like a lot of residual sugar. So we encourage them to ferment healthy and get done. Um, so... Yeah, the yeast is going to leave enough sweetness in there. You don't need to amplify that with your mash strategy. 
Right, right. So mash low, uh, pitch enough oxygen at, at knockout and, and just pitch enough healthy cells, you know. And I think a lot of it, you know, comes to just our standard operating procedures too. you know, the way that we CIP things, you know, like mm-hmm. our heat exchanger, you know, we go through methods that are a little bit different than other people. You know, a lot of people, I say, well, like, what do you do to your heat X? You know, we just hot kill it is what they say. Well, that that's cool that, you know, it's, it's sterile enough, but you know, a lot of things can live in there too. So um, I think just having a good regimen of the way that we make. What do you do then? So we do, I mean, our standard SOP for, for like the heat X is like caustic both ways. And then we'll flush that with hot water. Then we'll do like a nitric uh, phosphoric acid blend. We'll, we'll CIP that in a loop and then we'll push that with cold water and then we'll pack it with uh, PA parasitic acid. And then we'll push the parasitic acid out with wort and then we'll, we'll valve in uh, to the tank when we're knocking out into the fermenter. Um, meanwhile, you know, when we're, we're, we're valving off into the fermenter that is connected to a T that's been looped in through our CIP on the heat X. That is our yeast line. And that's usually connected to our brink and we dose our brink with our yeast and our enzymes at the time too. So, um, it's just kind of like the, the formula that we've done. Uh, that's just one little small piece though. I think, I guess I meant in a broader perspective of just how yeah. the way that we make our beer too has a big impact, uh, versus, you know, you can, you can mash low and, you know, pitch enough yeast and run enough oxygen, but how sterile is your brewery? You know what right, I mean? So, right. um, I always like tell people, you know, I'd, I'd eat like my dinner off the floor of my brewery, of how, how clean it is. <laughs> sure, you know what I mean? Sure, so, sure. <laughs> Yeah. No, these these are all of a piece. Um, you know, when it comes to fermentation, you know, are you in the the London Ale three family for your, uh, you know, for your hazy IPAs? So we we are London three, but we do use different yeast suppliers a lot. Um, really? Yeah. So we don't we don't rely on like one house strain, right? And, and it's kind of kind of like how I was mentioning with West Coast IPA, you know, um, and and the New Zealand and Gambrinas combo, you know, New Zealand hops and Gambrinas malt. There's like a vision that you have for maybe this beer. It's kind of the same way with hazy IPA. I might want to use, you know, a yeast that's producing more thiol precursor uh, with like New Zealand hops versus like maybe just London yeast or like we still like Vermont yeast a lot too, like yeah. barbarian Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we'll blend them, you know. Uh, you know, my, my fiance, she's a brewer too. And we like collabed back in the day and we used to blend like Vermont and London 50, 50. And, and some of those beers came out red, you know, and, and I did it back at Moonraker and done it here a few times and you would never know, you know, I could tell you it's all London and you just, you might not know, but there's some complexities there. Um, or just using, what do you get from blending? So what we see, uh, we'll just we'll 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 differentiate them. What we get from Vermont on on its own is better attenuation. You know, they're they're kind of sure, behaving sure. kind of like Cal Ale to some degree, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and what we see is a lot more hop aroma uh, versus like London is just yeast driven mm-hmm. all the way. You know, it's 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 very sweet smelling almost, um, which can be good. You know, I mean, people want that character, and, right, and we right. we dig it too. You know, but. Um, it goes back to, you know, what hops are you, are you using in the dry hop? You know, what's, what's the grist looking like? You know, what's this beer finishing at? Sure, you know? sure. What generation is that yeast on now? You know, we talk, talking a fresh pitch, we talking, talking like a gen 10, you know, cause it's, it's going to behave differently. Um, so, uh, with Vermont or barbarian, we get more attenuation, more hop aroma with London. We're getting, you know, Poor attenuation, but maybe more fuller mouthfeel, uh, maybe a softer character, which is which is nice for the style. It's very soft. 
um, almost kind of like airy quality, you know, on the palate. And then, you know, and then very estery too, you know, in the yeast profile. So when you blend them, you kind of get two different worlds, you know what I mean? And, and if you, if it's done right, we see a little bit better attenuation than if it was not just London. Right. And then maybe a little bit better hop expression too on the aroma. You repitch these blends or uh, is that just basically a one and done to make sure that the balance is right? We have, um, we have done multi-gens. The blend, for some reason, they want to drop clear. I'm not sure. sure. It's interesting. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah. There's some kind of weird stratification going on. And then sometimes you wonder what you're actually getting in a brink. Huh. You know, like maybe that London's hanging out up in high suspense and the Vermont's dropped to the cone and now you're running just Vermont. We don't right. have an extensive right. lab, so we don't know what we're really running. So right, right. we just kind of, you know, we roll with it and, um, you know, make sure everything's sterile, obviously. I mean... We, we, we have SOPs that I feel like we are production brewing and, but we're like in a pub brewing environment. If that makes sense. <laughs> sure, you know sure, I mean? sure, sure, <laughs> sure. You know? No, there's a level of nerdiness to this clearly that I've uh, gotten from our conversation so far <laughs> uh, that belies your size. Yeah, yeah, sure, totally, sure. Totally. Let's zoom out for a minute and talk about, uh, you know, just the idea of excellence. Zach, what do you think uh, are some of those, you know, you know, clearly you've, you've made a mark as a brewer. Clearly, you've been winning some awards for what you do. What do you think are those key factors that differentiate some of the beers that you're making, you know, from the kind of general, you know, midstream uh, of all of both of West Coast and Hazy IPA styles? Sure, sure. What are oh. those key factors that make that take beers from good to great? I think, um, you know, having just a, as much as you can at this capacity, a strong QAQC program. So, you know, unfortunately, we don't have an extensive lab. You know, we're, we're doing, um, you know, like under 1,500 barrels a year. You know, so we're, we're a tiny brewery. Sure. Um, you know, I felt like I learned pretty strong SOPs early on and kind of kept those and not just kind of got set in my ways, but always redeveloping to make sure that our process is sound. Um, the one, I mean, positive thing is, is since we're so small here, it's just, it's just me brewing still. And I have one assistant. And so when you only have two people, there's not a lot of cooks in the kitchen for things to go wrong. And if things do go wrong, there's only one finger you can point. It's either at yourself or the other person. So the communication chain is really short on that. Right. Right. And so when you see some of these breweries, nothing against large production breweries, but there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of valves being turned. There's a lot of mechanisms happening. There's a lot of mistakes happening. And, you know, um, I think our, you know, uh, I guess, uh, process here that makes it sound is just knowing that it's a tight crew, um, and, and keeping strong on our, our operating procedures, um, and, and kind of just being honest with yourself. If something isn't right, you know, send it down the drain or, you know, reevaluate what's really going on here and, and do something better next time, you know, but, um, you know, it is, it is a common thing that you see some of these people that, that have some success on the smaller scale, you know, um, like those guys, uh, you know, that, that one like Alpha King and they won like GABF, you know, uh, they're, they're pretty tiny, you know, and, and you have a small crew and, and communication's open and it's key. And, 
you know, you can really focus on what's going on, you know, versus having just this monster manufacturing plant and things are happening that you don't even know about sometimes, you know what I mean? <laughs> Which actually makes those larger scale breweries that are able to accomplish that and focus on quality. It makes what they do even more impressive to be able to corral that kind of large scale, you know, and all of those multi impacts also, um, you know, both of those things are, are, you know, it's actually even just as fascinating. Oh, absolutely. To see how they pull that together. No, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't trying to talk bad. About oh, no, 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 just, no, no. But, but, um, I but mean, you're right. You know, there are breweries that get large and lose sight of what they were doing. And there are breweries that get large and continue to execute at a very high level. And it's even harder to right, execute at right. that highest level. I, I mean, there's a part of me, I'm just jealous. I don't have some of those toys that you guys have, you know? <laughs> sure, you sure, know? sure, 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 sure. You know, so, I mean, they do have the luxury, you know, with the big production to kind of really look at things that course, I can't even see with my beer. So, right. Um, yeah. Well, Zach, what's the big picture for Slice? What do you guys hope to achieve with this business? Um, you know, you know, what do you, in five years from now, uh, what are you going to be bragging about? What do you hope to uh, have accomplished in that time? You know, um, right now, I mean, we're, we're sustainable and, you know, we, I, I mean, we're still, I guess, technically in COVID, but we were open for three and a half months and then COVID knocked on our door and we had to shut our doors. So we were a to-go, you know, operation solid for a year, no tasting room open. Um, and we're open now and things are getting back to normal. It is a small tasting room. It is, too. It is man. It's a I very know. cozy, ah, small tasting is, room. It is. I know. So the one thing that I like to see is just to expand some space. We're, yeah. um, we're looking out at where you parked your car. We're going to try to get a patio out there yeah. and, and not a temporary, like a permanent. So we're working with the city right now to put a permanent structure out there, um, that will take over all those parking spaces mm. in the front. So Pretty good amount of space. Um, I'll happily give up some parking space for more more space to drink your beer. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as expansion plans, I mean, we're in a really good zone right now because it's just me and one assistant on the production side. We have a, a small tasting room. Um, the way we're selling beer, we're, we're, we're profitable and we're in a good margin. Um, that's, that's something that's kind of tough to walk away from too because things are going good. Right. Could they right. be better? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know, so. Um, you know, but that doesn't mean that, that the doors aren't open for some kind of expansion potential in the future. So, you know, we are talking, you know, myself and the other co-owners about opportunities. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe looking at a, a bigger brew house or producing more. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, these beers are delicious. And so it would be certainly justified. And I think that is a great place to bring this to a close. G&D's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions. ProBrew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewing to the next level. Get reliable supply for your fruit beers with Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate Blends. Fermentus provides brewers large and small with the most complete portfolio of dry lager yeast available anywhere. Listen and subscribe to the Brew Deck podcast from Country Malt Group and arrived mobile point of sale powers places with personality. As always, your magazine subscription supports our ability to bring you this podcast each week. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button. Let us know this content matters for you, uh, to you. It's the reason that I can come out and have these great conversations face to face, and uh, you know, with folks like Zach and others. Zach, if people want to learn more about Slice, uh, where do they find you all, both in real life and out there on the on the interwebs? Um, so the standard social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, and then we're located in downtown Lincoln on Sixth Street. 
uh, and we're right next to Old Town Pizza on the corner. So pizza and beer right next to each other. Um, come down downtown Lincoln and, and hang out. What a great mix. The beers are transcendent. Everyone seek them out. Trade, trade, trade if you have to, but uh, coming out here and drinking them fresh at the location is the best possible place to do it. Zach, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Jamie. Appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.